Well, I'm, I'm um, wondering about a lot of things, um, but one of the um, great things about you that I really admire is um, that you seem to be able to pull something out of musicians that I, as a listener, or maybe even the, they themselves, uh, don't think uh, it could have been possible to put it out of them, you know? <laughs> uh, I don't know if you know what I mean, but hearing Lee Konitz on Balladeering or on Time, mm. or uh, what's, what's it called? D December, December song. December song, yeah. 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 I never heard him play like that. And still, he sounds completely like him. But I think mm. you were able to, and that's only one example for it. Um, there have been other examples, but uh, you you seem to be able to put musicians into contexts where they haven't been before, or they might even not feel comfortable at first or whatever. And then mm. they, you get a very personal reaction out of that. And I wonder if that's something that you're aware of, or if that's something that you have been aiming for, or I suppose you don't think in terms of somebody belonging to a certain, you know, style or whatever. You just put them all together and have them play your beautiful music. Well, um, hmm. yeah, I think, uh, I guess there are many answers to that question somehow. Um, but I like contrasts and I love putting bands together and, and I also love thinking about different sounding people in the music I'm doing while I'm while I'm writing it and for me it's a big part of composing to to think about the musicians and the sounds that I I'm inspired by uh, and I'm inspired by Lee for like just an example and I think on those albums the one of the things that sort of worked was yeah definitely what you said putting putting people uh maybe put them out of their comfort zone, but also put them in a place where, where if they trust the sort of uh, material I'm bringing in, it's even though it's not the comfort zone, they can f feel at home somehow and, and, mm. and be themselves. Yeah, I think that, that worked very well in those albums somehow because Lee was definitely, uh, you know, he, he definitely felt like a stranger to this music. And, and he also told me many times, like, what, what, are, we, <laughs> what are we doing? Yeah, um, but he also ended up really enjoying it. I think so. It was, yeah, it was that was a really good experience. I think, um, but I think mm, me as a composer and a musician, basically, I, I spend a lot of time uh, also listening to to my friends and listening to different voices in music that that inspires me. Yeah, and. Uh, and I've been very fortunate to be able to to work with many of these musicians. Of course, it's a lot of fun to be able to put people together that I think has something unique. And I sort of try to create things that are not so easy for for like for instance, I have this I had this dream of putting Joe Lovano together with Jung Christensen the way he plays right now. Mm -hmm. And I think it would sound beautiful to hear. Yeah. Joe pick up on Jon's ideas and yeah. um, I'm, I'm not sure I don't know if it's ever going to happen but that's just one small idea I have uh, that I think could put Joe in a different context where mm -hmm. you would hear him play uh, in a different way um, yeah and, and s small things like that I think about that a lot Yeah, uh, but obviously as you can hear it's 
it's also a great privilege to to actually be able to <laughs> think <true>. like that. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. But expression is is a very and and personal personality is a very big part of of uh, my music. And I'm not talking about myself, but I'm talking about like uh, the musicians I like to listen to, and also the musicians I like to hire. Yeah, and it's very important for me that that they that I, that they move me somehow, and they have mm -hmm. something on their mind. And um, I never personal approach. Yeah, and I never look for, for for people being good or anything. I I I'd much rather look for people struggling with something or mm -hmm. or really wanting to read something, even though it's you know it might be a thing outside of music. You can hear also. Like you say, the the way Lee is sounding on those albums, and I don't know. I think that was also lucky somehow, because I went to New York to do um, this album called "The Stars All New Songs," mm -hmm. and um, after I did that album, I sort of didn't want to do any more for a while. And then I had a good friend of mine who's, who was a film instructor, and he called me up and said, "Hey, did you just come back from New York and, and you just did an album?" And I was like, "Yeah," and he's like, "Well, why didn't you tell me?" because I wanted to make a movie about it. Mm. And then I was like, well, then I guess I have to do it again. And and that's why I sort of went back to New York and I ended up calling Lee to, and yeah, it's, things just like worked out mm -hmm. uh, in, in that way. Kenny Wheeler was supposed to be on that album. Mm. And I wrote all the parts for Balladeering for Two Horns. Um, and then on the day that I had to go to New York, Kenny called me up and said he had a swollen leg and he couldn't fly. I was like, whoa, what, what am I going to do? I had all mm. these parts. And, and I called my friend Jacob Buchanan and asked him to, to join me for that session. And we went to New York together. And I just had a, a feeling and a hunch. Somehow. I wanted to hear how the music sounded with Lee Konitz alone, uh, with, without a trumpet player also. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was sort of how that album came about because the space Lee got from from the fact that there was no other horn players that made him interpret and that made him take up space yeah but that sort of blew my mind also you know before that uh kenny was supposed to be on the on the record you know i love i love stories like that because i know that album inside out yeah and now imagining hearing kenny <laughs> yeah play over those tunes that sort of creates another album in my mind already you know yeah sure i love that I love that. Yeah. And I really love that song, you know, uh, what's it called? Color Sample. Oh, yeah. Where, where, Kenny... where you used him uh, yeah. in the end, you know, yeah. on that other record. And yeah. every time his solo starts, I'm, I'm about to cry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That uh, was... It's a special moment when, when he enters. Yeah. Yeah, I was very happy about that, too. And that was, I think that was a f some years later, actually, but I was going to be directing this summer course in, in Denmark called Valikili. Yeah. And and I had invited Lee, uh, Kenny to come and teach there. Yeah. Uh, so when he was in Denmark, and I was like, I, am, I was working at this other record at the same time. And I was like, okay, this, this is an now opportunity. The, yeah, now yeah. the stars are lining up. And it was mm -hmm. really nice. What was it like then to work with him in the studio? I mean, it's only one song and one solo, but still, what was it like? It was beautiful for me. I mean, it was really, I've listened to him so much and uh, just talking to him and meeting him and hearing him warm up and it was really nice. But I'm glad that it was that record also uh, at this stage of Kenny's life, he was getting more fragile in a way. Yeah. So uh, 
yeah, I think it worked like this, where it was one song, and and it was also like an album where I would put on layers, and so so it, it worked like that because it wasn't like ten ten different takes on ten different tunes or something. That would have been tricky, I think, at that point. And also to the question you asked before, um, yeah, there's another example for that, right? Yeah, and I think somehow sometimes I'm thinking about if I am actually going to make music for the rest of my life somehow, or if it's like you know you just. And I'm I'm very happy with 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 some of the albums I did already, and it, and then I think basically what's my my drive somehow is um, the fact that I'm still hearing and I still know voices and musicians and and expressions that I have ideas for. Yeah, I still have so many ideas in terms of putting different people together to see how that can create music. Yeah, I'm I'm very interested in in music. Basically, what is it like? What what's why is music moving you or why is something touching me and something is not and yeah what um, are your thoughts on that yeah that's still something i'm i'm just i'm still thinking about it and um did you arrive at anything yet um well i mean i definitely arrived at the fact that i'm a big fan of personality and i'm a big fan of of people having something on their mind um i'm also very interested in listening basically all the layers happening when musicians are playing together like if you go deeper than just you know the surface when you listen to music if you start to go deeper and and you start to hear and understand why a, a good drummer is is or at least you start to think about why he's approaching his cymbal or his snare drum or his toms or bass drum like that in relation to the music he's playing along with like if you start to go deeper and deeper and and i think that the whole like web of of music is incredible like that mm -hmm. uh, that's something i'm i'm working on a lot with my trio with joey and thomas basically just like being better and better at, at listening to and understanding and trying to uh, interpret everything coming from them if that is evident in music then i get interested in listening also when i'm you know, listening to other musicians. If if that's one of the key focuses, then I'm interested. Yeah, I'm not always necessarily moved. That that has a, that's a different some, somehow. That's a different uh, aspect somehow. Mm -hmm. But I'm thinking about like how can Lee move me by playing one note on a saxophone, and you could have millions of people, you know, playing the alto saxophone, and they could play the same note, and it's how can he? project like his whole life through one the horn note, yeah. in one note how's that possible that's like yeah that's super interesting i think did you like, talk to him about that no i mean well i tried sometimes but i don't think he really got it when i when we talked about that he was more like well i, I love playing the saxophone i'm still working on you know yeah working on it so yeah. now we just finished some concerts with Jung Christensen also and and he's definitely at a stage now where his drumming is extremely fragile and and very abstract and uh, yeah can you maybe explain why this direction presented itself to him that i don't know jung keeps saying that he's playing waves mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, i mean i've only played with jung when he played like like that somehow mm -hmm. but i was i was always interested in in the fact that you know he he might not play a steady beat or something, but he's still a human being that played like with all the greats, and he is one of them himself. And yeah. and that that's got to come out when he's hitting his cymbal. That you have to be able to hear that when he's playing his ideas. I'm interested in that, but I don't know if 
if that's something that in, interests the a lot of people. But but for me, it's very interesting. Yeah, and then putting him next to Thomas Morgan and hear how Thomas Morgan is interpreting Jon's ideas is for me even more interesting. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, but yeah, but yeah, we were just talking about why does something move you and why does something feel good and something doesn't. It's it's I tricky. It's, that's it's yeah. also depends on the intention of the of the guy who is playing actually, right? Yeah. Because sure. Lee wouldn't play it to impress you or to make you feel how you yeah. feel. Right? No, no, he, no, he wouldn't true. think about that, right? He might think about all that's happened to him. Yeah. Uh, or he might not, not even think about that, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's cool. still there when he plays. He stood next to Charlie Parker and they jammed, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he was uh, doing these things with Lenny Tristano. This has to be a connection there. Sure. It, it, it will be channeled and triggered uh, subconsciously when, each time he plays. Yeah. Whereas uh, somebody who wants to impress you yeah. and doesn't have that, doesn't have that uh, lineage and that, uh, that history, he won't sure. get anything across in on that, you know, anything that's just a little bit close to, you know, to, the, to that phenomenon, I think. Yeah. That's that's for sure, yeah, I'm, totally. I mean, like you asked if I have a if I came closer to finding a clue to what it is that music is for me is many things, then it's still somehow a mystery, yeah. and I kind of like it like that as well. It's it it's um, yeah, I'm not such a big fan of of uh, like when you, what do you say like face it like when things are added up or. Right. Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of like the mystery somehow. Yeah, if you see the math behind it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't see myself as a great guitar player or anything. I, I've always wanted to create music that I wanted to listen to, basically. Mm -hmm. um, so that's a good that's, agenda. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> but that's. But then at the same time, I'm also you know I'm ambitious and I love a lot of musicians who are also very good with their instruments and so that's been a part of my musical like dilemma like uh, yeah dilemma and also to find my own way in music has been has been those two things going hand in hand and oftentimes also kind of fighting a little bit with each other like yeah. am i i was am wondering I about that or? i yeah. was wondering about that because you walked along a lot of the guitar players who are or have been on Vogue for a long time for their very, you know, which um, also playing yeah. also and, you know, very masculine way of playing. Yeah. And I think throughout all of your career or history, you sort of, you know, very slowly turned your back against it and walked <laughs> the, just the other way. You know, uh, when I listen to you play, you know, like on returnings or whatever, Uh, it's as far uh, as it can be removed from a guitar player playing lines over chords, right? Yeah, that's true. Right. Uh, it couldn't be, I mean, I, I'm sure you'll, you'll take it far away. <laughs> yeah. And then also you might, uh, because then there, I love these moments where you just for a moment, come back and just play something Yeah. that's more <laughs> into that, uh, um, mold a little bit, but then. I think you have you have found a way to really go away from the mainstream and by that finding your own way of making music, right? I try. I mean, but the funny thing is that um, my schooling and my way of 
working on the instrument has always been via like the transcribing like Monk, Miles, Coltrane, Bilevins, Tristano, Konitz, all these musicians I've been transcribing and transcribing and transcribing and playing like uh, 50 Charlie Parker themes and playing all the, uh, like it really, really worked a lot on the tradition. Mm. And then at the same time, sort of moving away from it when I was playing concerts. So it's, it has been sort of a weird time for me somehow. What I sort of now are, are settling towards is the fact that I do feel like I had, I that, that the American songbook and, and the tradition of playing jazz and many of my heroes, I, I do think that it resonates in my music now. You know, also because I, I was touring with Paul Motion, I was playing a lot with him and learning so much from many of the musicians in New York and, and um, you know, for, for for them, that songbook is, is is natural. For me, it's something that I had to, you know, I, I mean, my dad played Lou Armstrong for me when I grew up, but he, but I also played Danish songs, folk songs, and I was listening to other kinds of music in the radio. So it's, of course, my my um, my natural sort of musical voice is also very much grounded in in Scandinavia and in the north. Yeah. Um, I love all the things you are, not because it's in the real book, but because I love the song. Yeah. <laughs> I really love it as a song as much as I love Old Man by Neil Young, or if I hear Nina Simone interpret a song, or if I hear, you know, it's the same importance is present when I'm listening to to All the Things You Are, or if I'm listening to All of Me, or, and, you know, for a while when I was younger, it was it was tough, I think, like, you should be able to play this and that on right. Stella by Starlight and you should be able to do this and that on Confirmation. And yeah, I think it was necessary somehow for me to go through that phase somehow, but it was also very good for me to to be able to get out of it somehow. And mm-hmm. I love so many musicians coming from New York and, and the fact that I played in Paul Motion's group and played a lot of the standard material with him. You know, I've, I've, I was standing next to Paul in so many occasions playing and feeling his beat and feeling his sound and it's something that will stay with me always and i think at least i tell myself that, that that's also partly the reason why i feel like like that songbook and that you know that sound is 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 still present in my playing even though i'm yeah. moving away from it somehow yeah you know i love the the family tree of of musicians i really i really love the fact that you can tell that this guy is coming out of this tradition and yeah. he he listened to this guy and this person this no, I think that's a beautiful thing somehow. Yeah, it connects yeah. us all in a way, and it's, it's not... also with with seeing somebody's parents, you immediately recognize like, oh, yeah, he's just his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. as a younger thing, you yeah, are, you know, it's very close to that. I think. Yeah, you can pretty much right away tell if there's no history. Like he hasn't been digging very deep. If he had, he would have known that that thing was already like you know it, it it seems like that's a very obvious thing for me somehow mm-hmm. like the historical layers of musicians and you can really hear when when people have been investigating yeah yeah and for me it's not a bad thing i mean i i listened uh, to that record with Gabarek and Stanko uh, i can remember the gary uh, peacock the one n- yeah 
Yeah, exactly. Gary, uh, voice from the past or something? Exactly, yeah. Oh, man. And it, yeah. It's such a beautiful album and it reminded me, but there was so, so much on it. Coleman, Ornette and um, Don Cherry and Charlie Hayden. And that, that it was like the same thing is happening in two different places on the planet somehow. Mm-hmm. And I loved that. I was like, wow, this is incredible. The nuances are numerous, but it's also very obvious that it's inspired by each other somehow. And that's, uh, I, I find that very interesting. Maybe you can talk about some other lessons you, you got from uh, Paul Motion, playing with him. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Paul, that's going to be the high point of my career forever, I think, playing in his band and, you know, getting that call somehow. Um, How did you get it? Well, I was living in Copenhagen and I was listening to Paul Motion and the Electric Bebop band and his trio and it was like, that was my main influence at that time yeah i basically moved to new york for that reason because i wanted to be able to hear him play and get close to him on in in clubs and seeing him and so uh, i I moved to new york in 2099 or 2000 or something and i was just listening to paul whenever i got the chance i even started taking lessons with chris cheek and steve cardness and i I just wanted to get close to yeah to, to everybody who was yeah but basically, that was one part of how I got close to the band. But then I'm, I went back in 2001 because of the summer holiday and then I wanted to go back to New York and uh, 9-11 came. So my visa got cancelled and I had to stay in Denmark. I just let go of the dream of, of living in New York and playing with my musical heroes. And and this wasn't Paul Motion. This was, Paul Motion was way out of reach. I mean, I was, I was just living in New York to be able to, to, to play with musicians my own age that I admired. But then there was a Danish, or there is a Danish saxophone player called Jakob Dinesen, who was at Berkeley with Brian Blade and Kurt Rosenwinkel. And Jakob Dinesen had a chance to do a recording session uh, in New York with Brian Blade and, and uh, Kurt. And he brought a Danish bass player called Anders Christensen. Yeah. And then shortly before going to New York, Brian Blade cancelled and Kurt played with Paul Motion and, uh, and he, he called him up and asked if he could do that gig inst- uh, instead of Brian Blade. At least the story, that's the story I got. They went to the studio and, and after one song, Paul Motion stopped playing and he looked at Anna's and says, do you play the electric bass? Because I just fired Steve Swallow and then he started laughing. <laughs> and I think, I mean, that's... That's not true, I think, but he didn't fire him. But but he he needed a bass player for yeah for the next Europe tour with the Electric Bebop band, and Steve Swallow couldn't do it for some reason. And and so Anna's got that gig, and and I remember him coming back to uh, Copenhagen, and it was just like completely surreal. Like how how do you what happened? Like you can't be playing with that group. It's completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then one day I met Anders and he said, well, there's been talk about you for the Electric People Band. And uh, it was something with Ben Wonder not being able to do a whole tour. So Paul would ask somebody who could do the whole tour. And I was just like, I emailed Steve Cardenas and um, asked him if it was true. And he said, yes, it's true. But I think that Wolfgang Mutspiel got the gig mm. because he knew he knew the music. Yeah. Or, you know, already knows the music. And I remember saving that email. I was like, okay, I'm going to print out this email where it says that I'm, you know, I've been thought about in relation to Paul Motion. <laughs> I'm going to print it out and big, make it big and frame it. And, but then a few days later, Anna called me and uh, 
I was at my parents' house, and I was like, "Why he he? Why would he call me?" And I picked up the phone, and he was like, "Yeah, Paul Motion wants you to call him." <laughs> yeah. And that yeah, so I quickly got that number and called up Paul, and we, and that's how I sort of got that gig, and it was yeah, it was crazy. I mean, completely crazy. So I spent six months before that going on tour with him, and I learned all his compositions. Basically, all the ones I could find, at least on records, with both his quartet or quintet trio, yeah. and I just memorized it all and um, all the songs from the Bieber band. And I went to a summer house with my friends and jammed these pieces over and over again. So those six months were really like I had so much uh, drive in terms of learning because I was going to sure. go on the road with Paul Motion. So it was very good for me. <laughs> it's difficult to name lessons from Paul. There were so many, I think. Um, for how long did you play then with him for how many years I think the first tour was in 2000 and then we went around Europe and we went to Brazil and I played I think a total of four weeks at the Village Vanguard um, I think my last gig was maybe uh, I can't even remember maybe 2006 or seven or something it was sort of on and off like when he stopped touring at one point he was gonna go back to using musicians living in New York for a while yeah right uh, and that made a lot of sense because there were so many great musicians there so why would he fly me in but then he called me actually one night when I was working on my own album called Sidetracked and he was like hey I have a recording session for ECM in New York two months from now are you interested and I spoke to I think it was Steve Cardenas about that and he said that Paul was also was always very like family oriented somehow in his music. Like if he had been collaborating with people, he always wanted to include that in his discography. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah, that's, that was very nice. And and then going to New York and doing that album was sort of like how I started playing with the band again. And I started going to New York to play the, the Vanguard with him. Mm. And that was also how I met Manfred Eicher. Mm -hmm. So that kicked off many things somehow. That it's Garden of Eden, right? Yeah. Yeah, the beautiful record. Yeah, I was just supposed to play on the two last days out of three days, and then Ben Wonder was supposed to play the first day. And I was just in the studio listening, and then they started playing a, a bebop song. And then Manfred was like, "Ah, play some of your own music, Paul. I don't want to hear this bebop." <laughs> and then Paul had been wanting to have three guitar players on his own pieces, so I I was invited in already on the first day, and then mm. that's sort of how that came about <laughs> yeah and also i mean i was so young i think many of the musicians in the band were nervous a little bit about meeting manfred and i was just basically worried about the music because it was it was a big thing for me to record with promotion i didn't even sure. think so much about the other circumstances somehow mm -hmm. <laughs> i mean it was it was tough in many ways but it was also my luck somehow that i got to to meet a musician like promotion and play with him in such an early stage right. of my life it was like a dream come true like career-wise, and it's like I, I definitely felt like I could retire after that first <laughs> tour. It's like, I mean, I even felt like that after the first gig like yeah. on that tour. I was like, That's Paul it. didn't. Yeah, he didn't say anything. To, uh, we played in Italy, and he was he was sitting in the band bus, and I was like, okay, did he like it or did he not like it? And yeah. I, I remember Paul said something from the front seat, like, yeah, there was something with the guitars tonight. And that was like, that was it. He didn't say anything else. And I just went to bed and I was like, yeah, okay. Next, So, so at breakfast tomorrow, he's going to send me back to Denmark. And that's that's okay because I got to play with promotion. Yeah. 
But then at breakfast the next day, he hired me for the next Europe tour. Mm. So I was like, okay, that's... And I think probably he did a that. good sign. <laughs> yeah, and also, also he did it because he probably could feel that I was, you know, young and nervous about the whole situation, and yeah. so he always told me to stick with him and stick with me, Jacob, and you'll get straight to the top. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was uh, he was fun. Yeah, incredible. How was it then when you asked him to play on your records? Well, I mean, I had been thinking about that for a long time, at least from, from when I started playing in his band. That was like a dream of mine, of course, to do something with my own music with him. And I had my doubts because I didn't feel like I was ready. Compositionally and also like playing-wise, I, I felt like I had a long way to go. But then there was one morning where I felt good and I wrote him an email saying, hey, at some point, maybe during the next year, two years, would you consider playing on my on my record and uh, I sort of knew that he always answered my emails pretty quickly when I wrote him in the morning because he was it, it, it was around the time when he was walking around the park in in Central Park yeah. and like I think two minutes after I sent that email he, he wrote me back like hey Jacob dot 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 why don't we do it next week when we play the Vanguard dot 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 Paul dot 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 and I was like uh like completely in shock of course because i didn't feel like i was ready at all but i couldn't say no to that i was like okay, well that's then that's how it's gonna be mm -hmm. <laughs> i started writing music and went to new york earlier than was so supposed to you started writing music for a record that was, that was uh, a week ahead yeah maybe 10 days or something it was pearl river yeah i love that record man yeah and like the compositions on that record i i had more or less a week to write because he said that hey let's just do it and I already had my ticket to New York where I was going to play the Vanguard with him and, and I wrote James Farber whom recorded Garden of Eden, Eden and asked him if, if he could help recording my, my album so it was all set up pretty quickly and, and luckily everybody could do it just the days before we, we were going into the Vanguard that was I mean it was really a, a, a big thing for me yeah I remember the first song we were just about to start and Paul would look up and just like so what's the arrangement on this one and I was like, uh, not. I wasn't. I hadn't even thought about it. Mm. So basically, I felt like I was learning on the spot. Mm. Uh, it wasn't until a few days before the session that I decided to invite Mark and Chris. Oh, okay. Uh, because it was going to be a trio album, but then I was like thinking that it might be nice with with horn players as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, thinking back at that session, it was it was nice, but it was also sort of like a kamikaze project. Yeah. First time I was using a looper also, and mm. we just did one take of that song called Red Hook Railroad, where I'm using a looper, and it was, I felt like I had no control of it, but it sort <laughs> of, it sort of worked out, I think. Mm -hmm. and, and Paul was very nice. I mean, he 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 also liked the album. We did Pearl River actually. That song we played with the Bieber band at the Vanguard mm. uh, on that whole week after that session. Wow, and that was a, yeah, of course, a major thing for me. Yeah, sure. Yeah. How about Black is All Colors at Once? Colors at Once. Yeah. That What's was, the story behind that? I think of it as a ballad that's almost like wrote itself. And then the title is, I'm referring to uh, this singer from the band Smuck. And that's a song where he's saying, I hear they say Black is All Colors at Once. Or mm -hmm. something. And I thought it was yeah, a beautiful title somehow. <laughs> it is. I'm actually yeah. wondering about composing because you 
seem to be able to find these melodies that seem like they were there forever. <laughs> and also, uh, they sound new. I mean, that's I've said it to somebody else before, who does completely different music from you. But mm. I think that's the same with every great composer, finding something that sounds inevitable and still surprising. How do you go about composing? I mean, there's a couple of sequences in that movie, you know, of balladeering. Oh, yeah. Where, you, where you're shown at your house. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, just playing the guitar and writing something down. How do you get into the mood to compose? And then what's your process? It's a good question. I mean, I think for sure the mood has uh, something to do with it. Like one one day I might play something on my instrument. It might go in here and out here. And the next day I might be in a different mood and I play the same thing. And I realize that this could be a really great yeah. beginning of a piece. So I think the mental state you're in somehow, that definitely triggers something. Right. Um, for me, composing is about finding little ideas that I think I can hear potential in somehow. I can hear that this little thing can grow into something that is not really something I can control. Sometimes those little things do not need more writing. Maybe they need a specific sound from a specific musician. Or, or maybe sometimes they they need me to keep writing it until I think it's done somehow. So it's the same goal for me somehow that to find something like a strong atmosphere or a nice melody that I can hear that this could grow into something that you could call music somehow. Mm. When I started writing, it was, I was training my ears. Like, how can I, I have this, this thing now that I like, but what, what do I need? Do I need a B part? Do I need a, and so I was, you know, as everybody else working on my ears to see if I could push my compositions without destroying the starting point somehow. Mm-hmm. And also push the compositions in, in ways where, where the starting point would be a, of a contrast somehow, but not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a sanctuary for me. Like I would never practice at the same time or in the same week where I was composing. It's like mm-hmm. whenever I feel like I want to compose, I always set a time frame, maybe one or two weeks, where I don't really judge so much and I definitely don't want to think about music like in a in an intellectual way or anything it's it's completely based on trying to create some sort of beauty yeah and and that's a really nice uh, state to be in somehow and i miss it at the moment i don't i haven't had time for it since my baby <laughs> came 11 months ago so it's yeah. it, i feel like i have I, if i sat down with my instrument now and i had the time and you would have space. something to say yeah i think that sure. would be yeah i think so but then it's also super fun to be able to like my that's something I learned from from Paul like from that session in, in Garden of Eden or, or just from playing with his band he would call up old songs of his like on stage let's do etude or let's do uh, drum music or let's do abacus or something like that it should have happened a long time ago or, I think he was such a incredible band leader like that he would call out his own compositions in different settings like yeah. He was never afraid of trying his, his songs again and again. And and that's something I learned from him. Like when I started composing and I would do a record, then I would tour with that record and then I wouldn't play those songs again. And now it's like I'm realizing that I have a pretty big catalog of songs that are yeah. fun, to, fun to play. And when I don't have time to compose, I, I like to take out these songs and, and see if they are sounding different now than, than they did when I wrote them somehow. Mm-hmm. Do you change them sometimes? No, I've never changed the song actually. Mm. Just the settings, like the musicians and the the, mood. and the, the moods, yeah. Mm. I mean, that's one of my key points somehow when I'm writing. I'm trying to get very, very deep into 
like what is the melody what is the core of this piece and what is the interpretation of the melody that i'm looking for mm. the beginning that took me a, a long time every time i had a song i was like singing it and playing it and singing it again and trying to get to the bottom of what it was that i was composing and that's become easier for me now somehow to see which notes are the actual melody yeah but i would never stop until i got that somehow so that's probably why i haven't changed anything mm. <laughs> i think when ecm asked me to do kefian i had been emailing back and forth with manfred for a long time about doing something he was also the one that introduced me to stanko and then while i was with stanko i was talking to manfred about doing something but it never really you know, I was sending him ideas and he was like, well, now you're with Stanko, let's do this for a while and wait with the solo debut. And then at some point I proposed the trio with, with Thomas and Jon and he was like, okay, let's do it. This sounds interesting. And that was a very, I think, important time of, of my career because I felt like I had to sort of reinvent my own idea of what it was that I wanted with music. There were no Likonis or there were no like soloists that I, you know, loved listening to. Also, for so, the for the past three albums, you had Bill Frizzell by yeah. your side. Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember doing the album, and I felt all the all these ghosts were in the studio. We were with Jan Erik and with with Manfred, and we were Jung Christensen, and and then Thomas, who was my close friend, of course. But it was Rainbow Studios, and yeah, it was just like I was like, okay, a lot this of history. Is, yeah, every time I touched my instrument, I felt like, uh, oh, maybe this sounded like that guy this sounded like that guy that sounded like and and i and i couldn't listen to that album for six months after we did it i was completely sure that it was complete rubbish mm. i guess it's never going to be an album i'm never going to listen to it and then i was on honeymoon with my wife on new zealand and i put one track on one day that i had a feeling was the only one that i could sort of which like, one was it approve on that was actually kifion mm -hmm. i had a feeling that there was something there that could bloom at some point. And when I listened to that track, I was like, whoa, I, I, what kind of ears have I been listening with? And uh, yeah, I really loved it all of a sudden. And yeah. I was very like proud of how we could go to these places in within that song somehow. It was complete like a surprise to me, basically. And then I so started slowly listening to that album and, and realized that I thought there was some some music that you know would it would make sense to put it out actually mm. and that was sort of a turning point for me in terms of thinking about myself as a guitar player and as a voice that can stand on on my own somehow and then I've been developing that with joey and thomas also and i've been playing a lot of solo concerts and i think it's it's something that has been very meaningful for me for me but it took me a while to yeah. get to that point <laughs> Can you yeah. maybe describe your relationship with Thomas Morgan a little bit? Well, he's, I love Thomas and I think he's just such a gifted musician. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it feels like the, what do you say, the sky is the limit. He's got extremely good ears. He both contributes to the, the melodies, but he's also pushing the music. Yeah, he's everywhere. He's like, a, I have a friend who calls him a socially skilled octopus. Like he's everywhere. I would think he knows me, basically all my songs. He 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 sometimes at soundcheck starts playing songs of mine that I don't even remember myself, and I'm like, what is that? And he's like, that's one of your songs. Many times I try to start my pieces in different keys and stuff just to see what he what happens with. Yeah. <laughs> and he's he's all over it. Like I think most importantly for me is the 
the heart. There's so much warmth and so much uh, love in his playing, uh, love for melody and love for for music and 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 uh, communication. Yeah, there's just no bullshit. He's completely in there in the moment, hundred percent. All the time. It's actually something that's going to be a part of that movie where the director's asking him if he can describe what's going on when he's playing music. And Thomas is talking about it's like a meditation for him. But at the same time, it's also something that can be like a trouble solving. He's talking about the fact that in music, there's like a balance. And the interesting thing for him also is to restore that balance if something happens in the music that, that you know, where, where things are going down somehow. Mm. I love him for many reasons, but <laughs> that's some of them. I mean, if I'm showing him something at a sound check, you can just see his eyes. He's just going in there. He doesn't care if it's a sound check or if it's, it doesn't yeah. matter. Now we're playing music. Yeah. That's very inspiring. You, you talked about practicing a couple of times in our conversation now. In addition to what you said, you're transcribing a lot mm. or you have been transcribing a lot. Uh, what other daily, you know, common practices do you have? I have a huge like list of things I, I always want to improve on. Or I mean, for me, my voice and creating as little distance as possible to my instrument from my voice has been a big thing in my practice. And I've made up tons of exercises and ways of, of, of trying to reach that point somehow. Just singing, basically, playing one chord and then singing a melody and then afterwards trying to play that melody. Mm. Uh, that's... That's been one thing that I've been working on. Also, I would transcribe solos without my instrument. Yeah. And I would sing those solos. I had a ear training class with Armin Donilian in New York, and he would make me transcribe these foolish things, and she's funny that way with Lester Young. And after learning those solos, I would have to pick any note on the guitar, and that would be the first note of, of that solo. Yeah. I would have to know that solo well enough, and I would have to know the guitar well enough to be able to play it as if it was in... G sharp or if it was it didn't really matter and, and that was also a way for me to feel like I got closer to my instruments yeah also inner singing I've been doing that a lot when traveling I've been having all these songs that I was working on or if it was standards I would I would sing and try to imagine uh, playing it playing it basically yeah. how does I do the where, same yeah yeah I don't really need my instrument basically to yeah. do that at all it's It's really a, a way of getting close to your mind somehow when you're when you're improvising. <laughs> 